So when did y'all plan the prayer walk? Uh, we talked about it this week. <laughs> Thanks for the heads up, guys. Uh, we were talking about it. It was kind of uh, impromptu. Well, it's really cool because the day I was on top about prayer, and I didn't know y'all had to plan that, so yay. So if you have your Bibles, uh, open to Matthew 14. We'll, we'll get there in a moment. It's always an honor to lead worship for Ashton. Yeah, great job today. I mean, I do, I do a great job, don't I? I'm just so talented. What can I say? You know, I, w- I was thinking, just back there, I was thinking uh, back to my trips to Indonesia. Uh, Indonesia is the largest Muslim nation. I took my first trip there in 2005 to Jakarta, and then in 07, 08, and 09, we actually went to a place called Surabaya, which is a real major city. And I remember the first time, which it happened in 05, but in the trip in 07, the second trip, I really became aware of the call to prayer. If you have never heard the imam call people to prayer, it is such a demonic sound. And we stayed in this really nice American hotel. Really, I mean, I feel like a king. It was so nice. But you could look out your window and you could see mosque as far as you could look. Big mosque, little mosque, here a mosque, there a mosque. And you would hear this call go off at early in the morning, three, four, four in the morning, I don't know how it was, but you begin to think, there are men getting out of their bed right now who will five times throughout this day go to the temple, go to the mosque, face towards Mecca, and they will bow down to a God who is not real. And then during the month of Ramadan, these Devout Muslims will fast 30 days or 12 hours a day. And I just think, like, not you, me, because I know you're devoted. How, how devoted am I in prayer? Like, really, how, how, how devoted am I to giving myself to this place of prayer? Because these people will get up faithfully to worship a demon. That's all it is. It's all, let's just call it what it is. And I thought, man, what, what would my life look like? What would the church look like? Because I've really been doing some things. I, I've actually been in the process of, of writing another book. And I've really been diving into the book of Acts in this book, and just looking at what were the early traits of the church. And the very first apostolic expression we see in the book of Acts is prayer. Acts one fourteen, they were devoting themselves to prayer. When they had to replace Judas, who had fallen in his office, they cast lots and they prayed. And you see this theme in Acts 
of the power of God, salvations, miracles, joy, peace, persecution. But in this whole book is this constant thought of prayer. And they were people devoted to prayer. And I want to become that person who in my latter years is more devoted in prayer than I was in my former years. And listen, prayer is one of those things, yes, we, we pray when there's a need. We pray when there's something going on. But what about making prayer just a priority of life because we want to hear his voice? What if prayer wasn't hooked with an agenda? I'm so thankful for corporate prayer. But corporate prayer is only as powerful as personal prayer. One, because of synergy. One puts 1,000 to flight. Two puts 10,000. So when prayer in private becomes powerful, then when we come together in corporate times, there's a greater synergy of the Holy Spirit released in that moment. So what if we understood that my personal prayer time actually impacted what came on in the corporate setting? Okay. And so this for us is learning how to mature ourselves because he will come knocking at three in the morning and say, you need to go pray. And you don't even have a reason to pray other than he just called you. And the question is this, will we be mature enough to get out of the bed, get in the study, the, the couch, and actually seek his face when we don't feel like it? Oh, man. Good word. Maybe, maybe the reason he doesn't call us any longer to this place is because he knows we won't get up and do it. And so Jesus, Jesus models this place of prayer. Matter of fact, the scripture has much to say about Jesus praying. Listen to this. Jesus prayed at his baptism, Luke 3. He prayed in the morning before he went into Galilee, Mark chapter 1. He prayed all night before choosing his 12 disciples, Luke 6. He, he prayed before feeding the 5,000, John 6. Before he walked on water, Matthew 14. He prayed before feeding the 4,000. He prayed at the transfiguration of the mountain. He prayed it as the assembly came back. He prayed before teaching his disciples how to pray. I thought it was ironic. He prayed before raising Lazarus from the dead. He laid hands on little kids and prayed for them. He prayed for Peter's faith when Satan wanted to sift him. And before his betrayal, he prayed. Jesus modeled prayer. He demonstrated what prayer looked like. It it was the lifeline of his life. It, it was, I love John 17, how he talks about how him and the Father are one. That oneness was from all eternity, but yet it was prayer in his humanity that kept that oneness in play, if you will. And so I want to start out by giving us three thoughts this morning about prayer. Definitely not an exhaustive list. Uh, but Jesus did say this. Jesus went into the temple, and he makes a whip, and he flipped over tables because he got angry. That's the Jesus we don't like. 
because he's not the loving Jesus. And that was very much in love. But when he goes in there and he flips over the tables and he, he takes the whip and he begins, to, he begins to whip people, he says, my house, quoting from Isaiah, should be called a house of prayer. And he wants us as his people to be a house of prayer. Again, where prayer is not an option, prayer is not a last-minute effort to try to change what's before us, but we live from this place of prayer. So let's look at Matthew 14. I'm going to give you three thoughts, and we're jumping to some other things. But first, I want you to resist. Uh, Matthew 14, beginning in verse number 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. And after he sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. So the, the first thought is this, is that prayer enables us to see from another reality. Prayer enables us to see from another reality. He goes up on the mountain. How many of you know that but I love Gatlinburg. And when you're in Gatlinburg, you can't see a lot. But when you get up in the mountains, like famous Dome, you can see a whole lot. Prayer changes the way we see things because we're seeing from another realm. So I remember years ago, the church we were at, we had to add a sound booth. And for years, I led a prayer on Tuesday nights. And so I'm, I'm walking the ground praying, and I'm just kind of play, praying and whatnot, and the Lord says, go in the sound booth. And so I'll go up to the second level, and I'm in the sound booth looking at the sanctuary, and I'm seeing things I hadn't seen before in prayer. Because I can see people in the pews and under the pews. What happens? My, my ability to see changed because I went to a higher level. And so when we begin to realize that prayer positions us in a realm to see things we haven't seen before, it changes how we pray. See, I've always said this. If you pray from the earth realm, you will never change the earth because you see earth from earth. But if you learn to see earth from heaven, you can change it because you see heaven's perspective. Heaven's perspective is different than my perspective. Everything I face in life, there is my reality and there's God's reality. So I want to learn how to change my perception to his perception so that I agree with what he wants to do in the moment. Good word, man. Good. As long as I stay earthbound in my prayer, I pray out of my emotions, out of my fear, out of my doubt, out of what people tell me to pray, it never changes nothing. But when I learn to align my heart with heaven's reality for that situation, things shift. Now listen, things don't shift overnight. Get out of your Taco Bell mentality. Get out of your drive. Sometimes you have to labor in prayer. Laboring is more than a day. Laboring can be more than a week. It can be a year at times. You have to labor. But if we learn to be faithful in prayer and not give up and remain faithful to what he said, because God, listen, the Bible doesn't say God cannot lie. It says it is impossible. Why? Because when God says that wall is black, that wall is turning black. So when God shows you his will for situation, when we posture our heart in belief and not allow what's before us to change our mindset, that thing's going to shift. But how often do we get exhausted in prayer and we give up and things don't happen? It's not God's fault. I'm sorry, I'm not a Calvinist. (laughs) I'm not. 
Yes, God is omniscient. He's eternal. He has a will. But there are things he's called us to partner with with him. And those things change through the avenue of prayer. This is why Jesus prayed. I mean, if it was God's will, why pray? If everything that happens is God's will, why does he command us to pray? So we have to understand we have a responsibility as his people to partner because he has a purpose he wants to bring through us into the earth. And only until you learn to set yourself, because here's the thing, guys, you're seated now in heavenly places, Ephesians 2 says. So when we learn to see from his realm and not our own realm, things can shift, one, because we can actually partner with it. And I'm taking an offerings with this sermon tonight. Second thought I'm going to give you. First Kings 19. That's the Old Testament, by the way. Let, let me just give you a little, little backdrop here before you read this. Here is, when you get in the chapter 17, you find a man named Elijah. Elijah probably is my favorite Bible character. Elijah has just shut up the heavens. He's now drinking from a brook. Ravens are feeding him. The brook dries up because there's no rain in the land. By the way, can I just tell you this? That when the rain shuts off, the brook dries up. And how often do we live on the aftermath of what we've been, what is what's coming before us? In other words, rain speaks of presence. Rarely speak of moving of God. Though when the presence shuts up, the move shuts down. But you can live on the move for a while, but after a while, the move's going to dry up. That's why you stay in presence. But the river dries up, and so God sends him to this widow woman who makes him a cake. The oil sustains. Then we get into chapter 18. Elijah has a showdown with the prophets of Baal. He calls fire down from heaven. The fire consumes everything, even the water. He then kills 450 prophets of Baal. He then is now getting a word in chapter 19 that Jezebel is going to kill him. So the man's now suicidal. Like, the man needed Prozac. Yeah. I mean, how, how do you have such great God moments on one, on one day, and the next day you're running for your life? We have, just side note, you got to learn to be balanced. Yeah. God, God doesn't want you to like this or this. This is Elijah. He's up, he's down. He's up, no, no. Be balanced. Life in the spirit is balanced. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying there won't be ups or downs, but don't let the ups and downs affect you. Okay, so now Elijah's running for his life. He, he goes in the woods. He asks God to kill him. And God says, you're going to go and you're going to find this kid named Elisha and you're going to anoint him as a prophet in your place. And so we pick up reading in 1 Kings 19. Verse 19, 1 Kings 19. So he departed from there and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. That's the name, Shaphat. While he was playing with a pair of oxen before him, and he was with the twelfth, and Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So he returned from following him and took the pair of oxen and sacrificed them and bore their flesh with the implements of the oxen. 
and he gave it to the people and they ate and then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. So point number two about prayer is this, is that prayer releases the anointing. How many want the anointing? So notice this, here's what happens right here. When he finds Elisha, Elisha is playing. What is plowing? We, we can say that a good application is that plowing is praying. We say that because Hosea 10 says that sow to yourselves in righteousness and reap in mercy and break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord. How do you seek the Lord? Through prayer. So when he finds Elisha, he is, in a sense, praying. And it's in the moment of praying that, God, that Elijah puts the mantle on him. But what's interesting is this, is that Elisha has 12 yoke of oxen. That speaks to two things. Number one, 12 speaks of authority. He wants us to pray with authority. Authority is not loud screaming. Oh, I want to, I want to drop kit Pentecostals when they yell the devil. Because it actually shows how immature you really are. Can I just be honest? Immaturity comes out of relationship. Authority comes out of relationship, not how loud you scream. Okay? So when I see Pentecostal, I want like, man, if I could just drop kick you, I would. He wants us praying with authority because demons respond to authority. Sickness responds to authority, not the tone of your voice, not how loud you yell, not how red you get. Sickness, disease, responds to one thing, that is authority. Jesus I know, and Paul I know, who are you? You can say the right things, you can mimic what people do, but do you have the authority? Man, we get so full of ourselves. I love that song from Bethel. I have the authority. Do you really? Do you really? Oh, it's there. Like, Abner has keys to my house. He can get a hold of the keys, but he's not getting the keys. Why? He's not mature enough. God will not give authority to immature sons and daughters. It's yours for the taking, but he won't give it to you or me if we're immature with it. So he's plowing with authority. But the second thing is this. Elisha's not lazy. The fact they have 12 pair of oxen speaks that he's from a wealthy family. So God will not anoint the lazy either. I think John preached last week on stewardship. Elisha could have been in the house chilling with his big old TV on social media. No, but he's out there with with the oxen and he's plowing ground. Your faithfulness to steward in the moment you're in unleashes purpose for your life. If you don't steward the moment you're in now, don't expect increase. That's not just money, guys. That's anointing. That's gifting. That's everything. We are called to steward what God's entrusted to us because this is what John said last week. When that man gave those talents to those men, they weren't their talents. They belonged to that man. So God has entrusted to us the anointing. It's not my anointing, it's his anointing. They're not my gifts, they're his gifts. And he wants me to steward these things well. And he will not anoint lazy, as I said a while ago. So there he is, he's plowing, 
And Elijah comes by and he throws the mantle on him and Elijah just keeps going by. In other words, Elijah doesn't want you to see what Elisha does with it. God will give you a gift, but he ain't going to wait to see you use it. He's like, ooh, did you use that gift? No, Elijah threw that mantle, he just kept going. And he's inviting Elisha to leave what he's known for something he's never knew before. So what did Elisha do? Elisha says, let me kiss mom and dad goodbye. And he takes the plowman stuff and the oxen and he kills them. He destroys what he needed to be a plowman. You got to be willing to destroy what you've had to embrace what you never had before. Why? Because when it doesn't work out, you can't go back to it. See, a lot of us want our life jackets. Like Peter. Peter has that boat stashed. So after Jesus doesn't resurrect like he thinks he should in three days, Peter's like, I'm going fishing. But then who shows up? Jesus. What if we learn to actually be all in? We don't have any lifelines. We don't have any life jackets. We're not looking for the rocks under the water. We fully trust him. We are fully surrendered to him. We trust his plan more than our own foolish wisdom we have. And that's me in a nutshell, guys. Because I'm thinking, okay, if this doesn't work out, what can I do to... Re- no, why don't you just like fully be all in? And so he won't sell unless you anointing. Matter of fact, Jesus, Luke says, was his custom to go pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, Nita, you've been to Israel, have you not? Dave, you've been to Israel? When you go into the Garden of Gethsemane, because I've been there as well, it is a olive grove. This thing is full of olive trees. It's just as far as the eye can see. And because there were so many trees in the grove, they would actually bring in a press because the word uh, Gethsemane means olive press. That's a good word. And what would happen is this, is because one of the ingredients for the anointing oil was olives. And so there they would take the olives they gathered and they would extract the oil and make the oil on site. Have you known that it's only in prayer that you're crushed? See, that's, not, that's a word we don't like because we don't like crushing and we don't like pain and we don't like fire. But those things are so needful for kingdom purpose. So Jesus, as his cousin was, he went to the garden and he prayed. And what did he pray? Not my will, your will be done. Lord, if there's any way, let this cup pass, but not my will. See, prayer enables you not only to have the anointing, but to choose his will over your own will. Because it's in prayer that your will is crushed and his will is exalted. So Jesus could always say, "Mm, I don't want this cup, but I don't want my will either. So as we become devoted to prayer, choosing his will becomes much easier than my own will. Yeah, listen, it's not funny in the morning. It's not fun. I'm going to tell you right now because I do it a lot. I do it more now than I used to. Look at it that way. And because you're dead tired, and it's like, I'm like, what was that sun? I need that sun because I'm about to fall asleep. But can I tell you this? I have had more profound revelation of Scripture getting up at 3 in the morning. I remember a year or so ago, the Lord just came in like this one sentence, like five or six, four sentence. 
And I just, like, for me, I know when, I know when he's calling me. Like, I know that, I'm not saying there's a specific sound, but for me, I, I know what that sound is. So I went to my study, I put up my journal, and I had, I wrote down that one sentence. And that one sentence became four and a half pages of notes. I'm just saying, when you give yourself to those moments, there are things he wants to unleash to you in that moment. He could do any time of the day, but he won't do it. Why? Because he wants you to come to himself. He wants you to come and draw away with him. They're just amen to me. Come on. <laughs> and I'm learning. God, you could have gave me this. You could have given this at noon or at 2 p.m. or at 5 p.m. But no, he calls us away. Why? To see if we're going to be faithful in the, in the process. And so I allow prayer to crush me. Why? Because I want the anointing. Why? Because I want to see sickness healed. I want to see demons leave. I want to see dead people raised. I want to see regions shifted. And that only happens when we have a true anointing on our lives. Amen? Amen. And so you have to ask yourself this. Will you allow prayer to crush you so you can walk in the anointing? Third thought I'm going to give you is that prayer allows us to partner with angels. Let's go to Acts chapter 12. Acts 12, beginning verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king had laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put the death of the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter alone, also, excuse me. And that was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer, somebody say prayer. We're going to have black church today. Black church, prayer, was made for him fervently by the church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee. John gets that. Nobody else got that joke. Peter, bound in prison, the church prays. And as the church prays, what happens? An angel shows up in the prison. We don't command angels. Angels hearken to his voice, not mine. So when I pray his will, guess what happens? Angels begin to move on my behalf. So let me just give you a great story about this. So, God, 10 years ago, a long time ago, me and Rachel were going to hear a good friend of ours named Amor Suarez, who will be here in April, the little Cuban Rican guy. And we're driving down through uh, Garnendale, going through the Trust of the Backway. So wet, rainy night, and uh, the Lord says, there's a wreck coming, pray against it. I said, okay. So right there, I said, Lord, just thank you for safety, and Lord, I just release angels in the name of Jesus. So we literally go half mile and come to a red light. We're at the intersection of uh, Carson Road and 79 Highway, and we're the third car in line at the red light, and there's this car coming from the left who's going to turn right. And he's probably running 60 miles an hour. He must have been, I don't know if he was drunk or what. He was going so fast that when he turned, he hit the first car head on. 
He hit the first car with so much impact that when he hit the second car, the second car went airborne and was coming at my Jeep. And they hit a wall and just went straight down. Wow. I was like, thank you, Lord. Because that thing would have just totaled our Jeep. So we went to the meetings, got done the meetings, and we're doing ministry. And I was like, hey, Paul, he goes, I see an angel behind you. I said, let me just tell you what happened, buddy. <laughs> Angels move not because you command them, guys. Don't. They, they're minister, yes, they minister to us, the observation, but they hearken to his voice. So when we learn to pray accordingly with the word of God, listen, can I say this? One of the best ways to pray is to pray the scriptures, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I love taking side note. I'm going to just arrive at there for a minute. I love taking the Psalms and put on some good, silky music, and I just read those songs, and as I find a verse that just hits me, I just pray it. Yeah. Like, you don't have to pray for your mama and your daddy and your nation and your mama and your, and your, your food every night. Like, there is no formula for praying how to pray correctly. Be spirit-led. How about that? Yeah, that's right. I'm just saying. Yeah, you know, there might be times he calls you to intercede for different things. But be spirit-led is the main thing, is what I'm trying to say, guys. And so when we do so what happens? When they're praying, this angel shows up, and Peter isn't even sure what's going on at the moment. He's actually thinking he's in a, a dream or a vision, and he comes to this gate, and the gate opens up by itself. What did Jesus tell Peter? The gates of hell will not prevail against you. Peter's fulfilling a prophetic word of his life. When angels show up, they'll open gates the enemies try to keep you in with. And so this church, by the way, notice this. It didn't say the intercessors gathered because there's not such thing as an intercessor in the church. There's intercession, but we need, we, we got to realize that the church played a role in this, not just the women intercessors with the buns and the hair. Like, this we got to shift. Like, when we call prayer meetings, you need to be here. Can I just say that, John? Let me just say that. When, if John ever calls a prayer meeting, if you can be here, you need to be here. Why? Because you're needed. I mean, if your job calls you, you're going to go to your job. Why can't you only your spiritual authority come as well? Ooh, wow. It's good. I'm, I'm just saying this. We, I think so many in the church don't understand the value they carry in the church. Well, you know, who am I to pray? Well, you, you might be the one that God wants to use tonight. Why? Because it's for his honor and his glory, not ours. Well, can I just tell you this? Because I'm just a really honest guy. One of my greatest struggles is when I get around people in a room who are more gifted than I am, I tend to shut down. But I am very much an extrovert. I love to be the life of the party. I I love to have a good time. But I get in rooms with guys who have a greater ministry or more open doors, I just shut down. That's my own fault. Because I tend to to base my value on what doors I have compared to what doors they have. That's wrong on me. And the same thing with us. Just because you don't speak on a Sunday or Wednesday, who cares? You still carry something the body needs. Again, a great analogy. I need my peaky toe. It's ugly. It's I mean, it's got. I mean, that's a demon of a toenail. It's got. (laughs) But without my pinky, I cannot balance my body. Your pinky brings balance to the body. 
It's small. It seems so insignificant. It, it always catches the coffee table within the morning. I mean, it's like, a, it's like at a right angle when you get done with it. But without it, it you don't have stability. We have to understand this. Just because we don't have the same calling, the same giving, doesn't mean we're any less important. And maybe that's the job. We need a better job of saying, you have value in this house. We all have value in this house. Well, I'm not a mechanic. God, you do not want me working a car because I will cause more damage than good. But I realize this about a car. There are things I need. I need an engine and a transmission, and I need gas, and I need wheels, and I need all these other things. But even in those engines, I need things in that engine. And then the transmission, I need things in the transmission. So just because you don't see things doesn't mean they're not important. I don't see the clutches in the transmission. Without them, I ain't going anywhere. I don't see the oil in the engine. Without it, I'm not going anywhere. And I tell you this, prayer a lot of times is like oil in an engine. You don't see it, but without it, you're going to lock it up. And churches that don't pray are locked up and are going nowhere. And so here it is. The church is praying, and Peter is released. So much so that when Peter comes to the front door and he's knocking, they're like, this is angel. This is angel. I mean, I would hate to see my angel. Poor guy. I mean, he's pretty ugly, I think. <laughs> Got a big head. Got a cool haircut. But what was it? Was, it was prayer. It was prayer that caused Jesus to see in a way he didn't see before. It was prayer that unleashed the anointing. It was prayer that brought Peter out of prison. And so I want to start winding down with this. I want to actually look at Matthew 6, and we'll, we'll wind down with this, the Lord's Prayer. We all know this prayer. We'll read it right quick. So we'll pick up in verse 9. Matthew 6. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debt as we also forgive our debtors. And do not leave us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So as a student in high school and middle school, before every ball game I played, we prayed this prayer. First thought about the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is not a prayer. It is not a prayer. It is a model of praying. Paul, how do you know that? Because good hermeneutics. Verse 7, when you pray, don't use vain repetition. So the Lord's Prayer, sorry to tell you, is not a prayer, Coach Jaeger and Coach Hoagie. And every other high school coach in America, he prays this prayer. It's, it's a model. And so I want to go really quickly through the model. I'm going to just hit some high points. Because you can actually take each one of these and not make it its own sermon. But the first thing he says is, he says, our Father. That speaks of relationship. You've got to understand this, is that the Jews did not have an understanding of God as Father. You will find nowhere in Old Testament Scripture where somebody referred to God as Father. Not there. Part of the coming of Jesus was to reveal the Father. That's what Philip said in John 14, show us the Father one because no one has seen the Father before. 
So Jesus says he's our fellow. What does that speak of? That speaks of relationship. He wants you to understand this is that you can have a relationship with the Father. All of us. That he is not some angry dude up in heaven wanting to smack you. But I've heard people say they've had not visions of God, but just in their own mind of Jesus having to hold the Father back because he, he wants to beat us up really bad. Not him. Listen, the God in the old covenant is the same God in the new covenant. I love what he tells Moses. He says, I will make, oh my goodness, pass before you. Old covenant. He was just as good in the old covenant as he is in the new covenant, guys. Now, I won't get on that just then. But he's saying, you can have relationship with them. What, what do fathers do? Fathers provide. He, he's trying to tell them he wants to provide for you. He, he wants to have a relationship with you. So there's our Father who is in heaven. This speaks of accessibility because what do we know in the Old Covenant? That the high priest were going once a year to the temple, offer the sacrifice for the people. No one had access to the presence but the high priest. But now he's saying, our Father who is in heaven, you can now access him because of the blood of Jesus. You don't need to go through a priest. We're not Catholic. You don't need to go and confess your sins to a priest. No, you have access because of the blood of Jesus. You can know the Father. And can I tell you, the Father's in a really good mood. He really is. And he really... I love what, what Paul writes. God wants humanity reconciled back to himself. Like, that doesn't sound like an angry dude in heaven. No disrespect to how, when, how I say that. But again, we have this, we have an unhealthy fear of God. The fear of the Lord is a reverence thing, not a, I've got to be afraid of God. Listen, is it healthy for my son to be afraid of me? No. How's it healthy for us then to be afraid of God? It's not. Not healthy. So he says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. This, hallowed be your name, speaks of reverence. Now, this is really, really interesting, guys. He starts by saying, Our Father. Then he goes into, hallowed be your name. What's the point? You will never reverence anything you're not first in relationship with. So he starts not with reverence, but relationship. Because you can only have reverence for what you have relationship with. So last, last Friday night we took Amber Bowen. My son beat me in Bowen, by the way. He did have bumpers up. But me and Amber, we cut up a lot. Like, we cut up. But he kept saying, hey, Paul, hey, Paul. I'm like, no, I'm your daddy. I don't want him to lose sight that while we're having fun in the relationship, that I'm still his father. Yeah, yeah. And so, because he is our father and we can approach him, we can never lose sight that he's still holy and righteous. Yeah. And I think we have maybe gotten so far away that he's holy and a righteous judge that the things like that we don't want to deal with anymore. Because he is a holy, righteous judge as well. And while he is the Father, and that while it was God who sent Jesus to the earth, and while it was God who commands his love to us, there will be a day when those who don't know him will not know him as a loving Father, but they will know him as a righteous judge. 
and I feel for those people. Stuff we don't talk about anymore. It's all in your New Testament, by the way. It's all in your epistles. <laughs> it is. Hey, by the way, let me just say this. It is so great to read our Bibles. And I have never been a big fan of a one-year Bible reading plan, per se, for me personally. But the beauty of the Bible reading plan is that it forces you to read things you normally wouldn't read yourself. And in doing that, you would discover scriptures that's going to say, uh-oh, what do I do with that? We need to be faithful to the entirety of the Word of God, not just what we like. I like the love of God, and I like the grace of God, I like the peace of God and the joy of God. Yeah, what about the justice of God, the righteousness of God, the anger of God, the wrath of God that is in your New Testament Bible that Paul speaks of quite often? Just a food for thought that we become balanced. I am, I am a, I try, God help me. I try to be so balanced in my Bible time. Because we, listen guys, we don't want to get an error. That's all I'm trying to say. We can get so focused on this that we miss everything else. And we create false grace doctrines. And that's how you get into stuff like, um, John, the, the, the uh, inclusion, stuff like that. I, I digress now. <laughs> he then says, pray for God's kingdom to come. His will be done, to be done on earth as in heaven. Psalm 115, the heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he's given to the sons of men. He's given you authority in the earth. Well, I just coming. What are we going to do about it? I've had at least three times tornadoes coming at my house. Tell me I rebuke it, and he goes up in the clouds. It's more than just that, by the way, guys. It's just a really small part. He, he actually has given us delegated right to influence what happens in the earth. Yeah. I don't believe what's happening in Afghanistan should be happening right now if the church is really on its... Just saying, Roe versus Wade. Where are we at these things, guys? I'm just saying, we, 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 you know, I'm trying to sit back and I'm going to let them handle it. Why don't you handle it? Listen, I, I, I don't pretend to know everything. There's a much bigger picture that I don't see. But I will not allow what I don't understand to keep me from doing what I believe God's commanded me to do. But how often do we allow our lack of understanding to keep us from doing what God has told us to do? You know, Peter didn't walk on water because he could see the stones below the water. Oh, there's a stone there, and there's a no. That's what faith does. Faith walks blindly. It trusts. It heeds the word of God and is obedient to it, despite what it doesn't understand. So, what if the church actually, for the next 24 hours, just gathered and interceded that that storm wouldn't just downgrade to a one? It would fall apart. Because how do you know that even if they downgrade to a one and it doesn't cause damage, it can still cause damage by rains and torrential downpours. So what if we actually just gather and say, you know, we're going to pray and we're going to say, Ida, fall apart. Like she's going to turn back and go back in the Gulf. Or she's going to, 
Yeah, I believe that's what we should walk in. I just, just me personally, not me, you, y'all, us, them. <laughs> he wants us to have this kind of authority. Give us this day our daily bread. What's that? That speaks of provision. What happened when the children of Israel had left Egypt? God rained down manna in the desert. By the way, give us this day our not give us for the week or for the year. He's the God of the moment you're in. Come on, good. So maybe quit trying to fit in the next five years of your life and live in the moment you're in now. Just a thought. He's a God of now. Yeah, he's been there because he's, he's the infinite, eternal God. Like, he doesn't exist in time. We do. So instead of like, God, what are we going to do next week? Hey, Paul, be faithful in the moment you're in now. Let me provide for you now, not next week. Listen, I, I love provision. Provision is more than just food. Provision can be what you need. So Paul Mack has story number two now because... I'm going to tell stories now. No, I'm just kidding. A few years ago, we had to go buy a car. So we took money out of Rachel's retirement she had at the time. And I think we took out like 14000 something like that. And was going to put down like a really nice down payment on the car. And uh, again, Admiral was at our church that very week. Another Admiral Sora story. And the Lord said, give him a $1,000 seed. I said, okay. So I told Rachel, I said, we need a sow seed. She said, how much is it? A thousand bucks. She said, okay. So a thousand bucks seed. So we gave Aaron a thousand dollar seed. Anyway, um, so we saw that seed. And we went and found a car. And we financed a very little small payment. Little small payment for the car. And I had a person for the next five years pay my payment for me every month. For the next five years. I didn't pay a penny on that car. That's why we took our retirement. You'll be amazed at what God does when you're just obedient what he tells you to do. He's a good father. But Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more will your father give what you have need of? But if you being evil, I'm not evil, Jesus. But he says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more? So what if we just learn to trust that he's going to supply not, not when we need it? He knows more. He knows better when I need it than when I think I need it myself. Like, is it fun being stretched in the checkbook? No, it sucks. Like, paycheck to paycheck living at times has sucked. But I'm leaving one day, and ain't going to be there any longer. Like, we're going to have abundance. I just believe that. And that not by, I don't know how it's going to happen, but like I, I was telling John this, I want to hear that this, because this is like a ridiculous, huge number. I'm like, I believe that God said, I'm going to have this much money one day. So what do you do? You trust him in the process. Faithful with your tithe. And I don't tithe because God doesn't get me. Yeah, that's right. I don't pay my tithe either. I give it. Because I'm not old covenant. By the way, Abraham didn't pay a tithe. He gave a tenth. It wasn't until the law that the tithing was instituted. Listen, if you're going to live under the law, you better live under the whole law. You better not eat pork or shrimp or other things. So, yeah, be faithful with your giving, but don't do it out of religion or legalism. That's what I'm trying to say. Amen. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah, 
Give and trust God and watch what he'll do. But don't let some preacher manipulate you either and watch you give. People are going broke because preachers have told them things that if you do this, God will do that. Man, that's manipulation. That is witchcraft. Yeah. And, and no wonder we get so railroaded as prosperity churches or gospel because we believe that God wants to bless us. Use my language. I got a little passion on that one. It's it just true. They do say worse. That's no excuse, though. I mean, listen, when, when you take the American gospel to a third world nation, to people who have nothing already, and say, if you do this, God will bless you, and they're still living in huts and still in dirt floors because you manipulated them for your own personal gain, oh, whew. I'm going to move off this one, John, because I about said something else just then. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Guys, the joy in knowing that you are in right standing with God and your sins are forgiven. The blood doesn't just cover my sin, it removes it. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed my sin. The blood speaks a better word. My sin may try to speak, but the blood speaks a better word. You're forgiven. You're restored. You are uh, redeemed. You are bought back. You are no longer yourself. You are holy and blameless. Thank you, Lord, that your blessed speaks a better word. I would encourage you to look at Mark 11, 22. Not, we won't look, do it time, for time's sake, but in Mark 11 is the famous passage, have faith in God. Forever says the mountain move, it'll move. We love that passage, but we should read on down because when he says, and when you pray, forgive. Because when you don't forgive others, how can God release to you what you've been believing for as well? I would read verse 25 and 26 in context with 11 to 22. You will see this, this parallel that when you withhold from others what they deserve, God will not give to you what you need. Last thought about this and one more thought. Do not lead into temptation, but deliver us from evil. James says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Each one is tempted when he's carried away by his own lust. When lust is conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin brings forth death. This is what happens to Eve. Eve took her eye off the one who was eternal and put on something temporal. She became more fascinated by the tree than the one who made the tree. She looked to the tree to give her what she already had. Temptation makes you look at something less than, and it makes you try to get from that what you don't get from him. One of the great American preachers, I guess he's American, Charles Finney. Finney had breakout meetings all up in New York the Northeast. Miracles, salvations, power of God. I mean, Finney was, if you never studied his life, I would say study the life of Charles Finney. It's phenomenal. I haven't done it justice, but it's what I've read. It's been pretty amazing. But what made Finney's meeting so powerful was a man named Daniel Nash. Nash was Finney's personal intercessor. And before Finney would have a meeting, 
uh, Feeney would send Nash into a region for three to four weeks before the meetings began. And Feeney would gather the local leaders and churches, and they would begin to pray for the meetings. Nash has such an impact on Feeney's meetings that when Nash died, Feeney never traveled holy ever again. Feeney understood the power of prayer had and how important Nash was to his ministry. Now, what happens when we understand the power of prayer and what prayer can do when we actually give ourselves to it, guys? 